This is Science Friday. I'm Kathleen Davis. And I'm Ira Flato. If you're a person who, like me, enjoys beer, you've likely been aware of the craft beer boom of the last couple of decades, right? Like your India Pale Ales or your IPAs. They have become the most popular type of craft beer brewed in your local neighborhood. But I'll bet it doesn't get more local than a type of beer you probably haven't heard of, the Gruet. This beer traces its origins back to the 11th century. Yeah. And historically, instead of hops, it used herbs and spices native to wherever it was made. This results in a flavorful beer that changes taste depending on the brewer. Now, fast forward a few hundred years to now, and you find brewers trying to get back to this hyperlocal brewing tradition. So we're going to take you on a journey to Brooklyn, New York, where a community farm and local brewery came together with a radio show. Yes, that's us to make a gruet. The hope is that the community will get to enjoy this beer made with ingredients grown right in the neighborhood. I got the fun assignment. I got to go to the brewery. And I got to go to the farm right at the start of fall. Fall is a beautiful time in New York. The leaves are starting to change, the air is crisp, and people, myself included, are pulling out their favorite sweaters. Fall also means it's harvest season for farmers like Brendan Parker. So welcome to Red Hook Farms, the Columbia Street Farm. We're a 2.75 acre youth center urban farm in Red Hook, Brooklyn. Um, we operate this farm on New York City Parks Department land, and we grow it intensely diverse range of crops with youth at the center. Brendan is the senior farm manager here. He works with local kids to grow a whole bunch of things from collard greens to root vegetables. On site, there's also a beehive and chickens. The farm grows more than 15,000 pounds of produce each year, most of which goes right back into the community. Red Hook Farms feels like an oasis in Brooklyn's Red Hook neighborhood. The area is industrial, and you can see a whole bunch of warehouses right from the farm. That includes three Amazon facilities and an Ikea. There's a long history of processing and manufacturing in Red Hook, which has left it with a contaminated legacy. So the history of this site, it was operated as a large baseball and tennis field that was entirely on asphalt, and we put soil directly on top of the asphalt um, because Red Hook is a community that is dealing with a lot of soil contamination. There's a legacy of processing lead in Red Hook and I think it's we've proven that it's it's a huge opportunity. You can take a asphalt lot, turn it into a vibrant urban farm that hosts youth and community members and all of this this wildlife within it. Um, when you step into the farm, it really doesn't feel like you are directly on top of the asphalt, which we are. Red Hook is geographically separated from the rest of Brooklyn. Sara Nafisi, director of Red Hook Farms, says that's contributed to a history of disinvestment in this area. She says that's why it's so important that Red Hook Farms exists, to be a green pocket in this industrial, underserved area. And then you can see floating around us are monarch butterflies. We are still part of a larger ecosystem. That migration is happening. They are stopping here. They are drinking nectar from the flowers we have planted for them. And hopefully they'll make it all the way to Mexico, or their next generation will. 
Red Hook Farms champions its local produce, from those big leafy greens to the smaller herbs. So when a local brewery reached out asking if they'd like to help make a grew it, it seemed like a great fit. Yeah, that takes us, me, to the brewery. Six Point is a block away from the farm. While Six Point has a big focus on IPAs, this location is focused on innovation brews, drinks that are sometimes off the beaten path. The day I came to visit, they were brewing the Gruet, made from the ingredients grown at Red Hook Farms. Head brewer Isaac Patient is a big fan of Gruet-style brews, which have a long history, dating back to Western Europe in the 11th century. It contained hops, but it was more uh, like a spice sachet that was originally picked out by a Gruet maker. And it was to balance the maltiness of the beer. So there was some bittering things you would add, uh, like lavender, uh, a, a stem of lavender is almost just as bitter. If you just add that like you were going to add an IPA, that's going to make it just as bitter, but it's going to have a, a more floral flavor than hops would. For a beer to go to market here in the U.S., it legally has to have some hops. But what sets Gruet apart from the other beers is that these herbs and spices are the star of the show. How does that impact the flavor, you may ask? So it's a little bit more herbal. Obviously, you're going to have a lot more uh, flavors in there. Um, and it, they are, they're more geared towards like a medieval kind of pairing to match food. <laughs> ah, I like I like that. Yeah. Do you have are there lots of kinds of gruets? Yeah, so that is a little bit interesting because there is a traditional gruet that has very specific herbs in it, yarrow, rosemary. They um they were sort of like the foundation, right? But brewers were using all sorts of herbs and spices that they could find in their area. Uh, there's even like uh, uh wormwood that you can use, but some of those are a little bit controversial because there's certain psychotropic <laughs> things that go along with them so that they're not usually included in today's gruits. <laughs> I've got to admit it, I have never heard of gruit before I went to the brewery, even though it's an old-style beer with a ton of history. And I'm not alone. A lot of those styles during Prohibition fell way down off the, off the radar and, and have taken a while to kind of peak back up. Isaac learned about this medieval-style beer from a legendary Gruet brewer in New Hampshire named Butch Halshorn. And he would hire um, foragers to just go out and pick whatever they could, and then they'd bring it back, and he would just pick random things and then make a beer out of those things. So when this opportunity uh, came up, we started talking about, like, you know, how, what, what herbs can we get the Red Hook Initiative Farm to grow and wh how can we make that into a beer? Um, and it was just, it's been an awesome experience to be able to do it on such a large scale. The Six Point Gruet has four key herbs, rosemary, tarragon, lemongrass, and mugwort. All of these were grown at the Red Hook Farms. Back at the farm, director Sara Nafisi explained what makes these herbs so special. We have rosemary. Probably most familiar for the American cooking. We have rosemary, um, it's in the salvia family or the mint family. So it has that square stem. Most things in the mint family are very pungent, fragrant, um, medicinal, flavorful. It's commonly used in meat flavorings. It's not something that people typically drink. And then rosemary is like, has a deep 
literary tradition, you know, Shakespeare, everyone's writing about Rosemary. And it, it is not from England, but it was brought there and became very like, you know, it seems very core to like English cuisine and English things, but like most things that are core to English cuisine and tradition and culture, it is not actually from the island of England. Tarragon is another culinary herb. Like rosemary, it has long, thin leaves, but the flavor is a little more similar to anise. My family is Iranian. We eat this raw with food. We put this in. It's one of the main flavors of stuffed grape leaves. It's also a bitter, though. So all of these different herbs that we've collected are mostly on the bitter side um, to provide flavoring. And it's such a unique smell that you really don't smell in other typical culinary herbs. Lemongrass may be the most pungent of the four herbs. Lemongrass is one of the power flavors. You just, you barely have to rip it and smell it. And you get that citrus. This is in the grass family. Completely different part of the world. This is from, there's different varieties all across Asia, South Asia, East Asia, Southeast Asia. Um, mostly used medicinally as a flavoring, as an aromatic. This one is a beautiful variety, has this like burgundy stem, grows out to be about two, three feet long, very dramatic, beautiful looking, and a very common flavor for a lot of East Asian, South Asian cooking. And finally, mugwort, which Sarah calls the star of the gruet. Historically, mugwort is a central ingredient of the beverage. It's really good at being a plant. It's really good at being a weedy plant doesn't need a lot of love, doesn't need a lot of attention. It'll grow on the roadside, it'll grow in the subway crack. And when I see it on the farm, I have a little heart palpitation because it spreads so aggressively by these amazing underground rhizomes, um, which I can dig up and show you. Sarah pulls the mugwort out of the ground, revealing long stems that were hidden below the soil. So you see these long, these are underground stems called rhizomes. And they'll break off as I pull this out and re-sprout. It'll also spread and effectively colonize a whole area, which makes it such a really strong, powerful plant. And then if you flip it over, you have this beautiful underside that's white, and that can help you distinguish it from like chrysanthemums or other things. But if you crush it and you smell it, you get that kind of anise scent, and then if you taste it, it's the bitter, right? Mugwort is related to wormwood. That's the herb that's used to make absinthe. This family of plants, which is called artemisia, has psychotropic qualities. Some people say mugwort gives them lucid dreams. But those effects disappear once the plant is cooked and processed. So don't expect to grow it to get you trippy. If it sounds like Sara is the president of the mugwort fan club, it's because she might as well be. She has a mugwort plant tattooed on her upper arm, complete with ladybug larvae. I also love it because if you catch it at the right time, so like early summer, late spring, it's an entire universe. There are, it's an entire universe of ladybugs at all different levels of development. You have the larvae, you have the eggs, you have the adults, and 
just hundreds of them on a single one that's growing in between an auto body shop garage door and the pavement and I can't help but see the wonder and amusement of this plant that doesn't need anything it's, an, it's the crack of a sidewalk but providing an entire ecosystem to so many different animals it's also a personal plant for Sara as a child of immigrants to this land that was not always welcoming to people like me and still is not always welcoming to people like me and finding a foothold in this country and seeing if I can also play a role that's positive, that supports the ecosystem, supports that I have a place here. Mogort has a place here. Um, and I, I, Not to anthropomorphize a plant, but I, I identify with this plant for a reason. It, it was brought here and it made its way and it's growing in the asphalt and the concrete and and it's beautiful and it has so many, it has a story, it has a long story, we all do. So I love it. Just a quick note that I'm Ira Flato and this is Science Friday from WNYC Studios. Back at the brewery, the mugwort, rosemary, tarragon, and lemongrass are coming together to make the gruit. So we take the grain, uh, depending on the grains, we crack them, basically mill them down, just barely crack them open, then we mash in. So we throw all the grain in, we have a very specific temperature of water that's going to help activate the specific enzymes that we're interested in activating. And then once that's done, sits for about an hour, we move that over into the boil kettle and we boil it. That's where we add hops, or in this case, we're talking about a gruit today, so we're gonna be adding herbs and spices. And then once that's done, we move it into one of these conical fermenters. We add the yeast, uh, it ferments out. When it's ready, we then carbonate it and send it out. We headed upstairs for the most important business of the day, tasting the gruit we've been following throughout its journey. So the best way to taste a beer is obviously do a short sniff and just kind of recognize the smells and aromas that are coming off mm. that. It does have an aroma. Yeah. And then what I always tell people to do is to sip and hold it in your mouth, let it slowly warm up. And once it's all the way warm, do a slight chewing action because there are certain olfactories that are not activated until you're doing that action. And then to swallow, as you swallow, breathe out through your nose and you'll get like the full, usually your first sip of a new beer should be that way. That way you get the full experience. Cheers. Oh, that's good. Yeah. It's really different. Yeah. yeah it's really different. It is. Feels like it wants to be an IPA, then it changes into something else. Yeah, right. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Wow. You can really definitely tell there are herbs in there. Right. You know? Yeah. So will there be a Gruet revolution? Well, it's hard to say. But Isaac says some craft breweries, like Six Point, are leaning into more local ingredients to make their beers. You, you do see a lot more breweries using a little bit more uh, herbs and, and floral additives. Um, and sometimes it's not their primary thing, but you might see a beer that's used dandelion flowers, or you might see a beer that's used some hibiscus in it. So I think that, you know, craft brewers have really pushed the boundary of innovation and, and research and development in beers, and I think that you'll probably start seeing more and more of it. So what to call our brew? To come up with the name of the gruit, the staffs of Science Friday, Six Point, and Red Hook Farms 
wanted something that reflected just how local this collaboration was. From the herbs grown on the community land to the story you just heard on the radio. So we settled on a field story. It's going to be available at stores and at the Six Point Tap Room in downtown Brooklyn. So if you're interested in trying it out, you can do so. And we're holding a special launch event for a field story for our listeners in the New York City area. If you want to learn more about that, you can do so at sciencefriday.com slash beer.